I'm Krista Tippett. Today, a public conversation with Joshua Dubois, the 26-year-old political strategist and Pentecostal minister who is heading the Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships in the Obama White House. We'll explore what is being retained from the Bush years, what will change, and how the experience of the Obama campaign shaped Joshua Dubois' vision of what is possible. We're, we're all told that, you know, our differences are so broad and wide and there's no bridge that can span them. Um, but I've been in little churches in Montana and in temples in New York and, you know, everywhere in between. And there's so many things that people actually agree on. And, um, and so that was just startling. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, quite frankly, more pushback, more heat. And there was a tremendous amount of light instead. This is Speaking of Faith. Stay with us. This public radio podcast is supported by the Fetzer Institute as part of its campaign for love and forgiveness. Online at loveandforgive.org. I'm Krista Tippett. The very words faith-based became controversial during the Bush administration. But Barack Obama has retained the faith-based centers in 11 federal agencies that his predecessor created. And within weeks of assuming the presidency, he announced priority areas for his own White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, including economic recovery and poverty reduction, abortion reduction, responsible fatherhood, and global interfaith dialogue. This hour, we meet the 26-year-old who will lead this charge. Joshua Dubois is a trusted associate of the president, a political strategist and Pentecostal minister who wants to make his office a resource across religious and secular boundaries. From American Public Media, this is Speaking of Faith, public radio's conversation about religion, meaning, ethics, and ideas. Today, Obama's faith-based office, meeting Joshua Dubois. I've been intrigued ever since I started hearing about Joshua Dubois when he was the religious affairs director for Barack Obama's presidential campaign. Among its distinguishing features, that campaign brought religion out of the closet, in a sense, in the contemporary Democratic Party, while reaching out actively to people across a spectrum of religious and spiritual identity. Joshua Dubois helped envision and implement that outreach and played a number of other roles, from advising on religiously-oriented themes in speeches to leading prayers for campaign aides and preparing devotions for then-candidate Obama. Now, within the Domestic Policy Council of the White House, Joshua Dubois will run his own staff and work closely with the faith-based centers across federal agencies. He's aided by a national advisory board appointed by the president of 25 religious leaders and heads of religious and secular nonprofits. Joshua Dubois grew up primarily in Nashville, where his grandmother had participated in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Spiritually, he grew up in the African Methodist Episcopal Church of his stepfather. He studied political science at Boston University, earned a master's degree in public affairs from Princeton, and then headed to Capitol Hill. I interviewed Joshua Dubois in a live public event on May 20th at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. A global audience engaged with our conversation online via live video stream and Twitter. Well, hello. Hello, St. Paul. (laughs) (laughs) And the world. And the world. (laughs) And all of Twitter. And all of Twitter. you know, I, I start all the conversations I have if I'm talking with a quantum physicist or a theologian. Sure. Just, I'd like for you to tell us something about the religious and spiritual background of your life, of your childhood. Okay. Well, I'm a preacher's kid. Any preacher's kids in the house? PKs? Okay. There we go. Um, and my uh, dad, Reverend W. Anthony Sinkfield, is a wonderful pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, my mom is also very committed to her faith. And um, like some preacher's kids, I think you know, being so close to religion, in fact, in some ways pushed me away from uh, from faith. Uh, perhaps it's because I thought I knew everything because I'm so exposed to it on a on a regular basis. So I actually didn't um, come to my own set of beliefs, and, and I'm a committed Christian um, until I got to college and hmm. um, and found a wonderful church, Calvary Praise and Worship Center, and a great pastor and uh, good friends there, and became active in ministry there. So. And that the short was version of at Boston story. University, where you were studying right. political science. And from what I've read, you had kind of a 
you, you found your religious life at the same time that you found your political voice in a new way. Well, it, it was an awakening of sorts. Um, I, like many freshmen in college, didn't care too much about too many things, um, except, you know, where I was going to be on Friday night and, um, you know, who may or may not be, who, who you know, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, <laughs> But uh, there was this this moment early in my um, my college career where I, I became interested in the case of a young African immigrant named Amadou Diallo, and um, this was a young man who, um, because of an accident and, and unfortunate timing, was um, shot by um, by police officers 41 times, and and at the um, at the the time when the verdict came down and, and the officers were acquitted, um, there, there was something sort of uh, that was awakened, awoken in, in me. I, um, I, I felt just the monumental sense of both a failure of public policy and the protection that our government wasn't able to provide to this young man, but also um, a real moral failure as well. And you know, I can't to this day. I have a hard time explaining exactly what it was, but it it it, it shook in me a sense that um, I needed to connect to something larger to understand all of the, the nuances in in the world, and both in terms of politics and also in terms of religion. So um, that's when I, I found my church and my faith, and also you know started my political path as well. Right, and and this church, um, the Calvary Praise and Worship mm-hmm. Center, was Pentecostal church. It is, yep. is that right? You know, something I think a lot of people in this country don't know who aren't Pentecostal is that in its origins, and certainly globally, um, Pentecostalism has deep social justice sensibility. That's true. And I just wonder, was that true also of this particular congregation? Sure. I mean, we are a small church, so we're limited in our and um, in, in some of our abilities to be active in the in the broader community. But to the extent that that we can, and my pastor can, he certainly is integrated in the world around him and in, in the church in, in Cambridge. So, yeah, I, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Now, some accounts of you say that you're ordained. I know you're you've been a preacher, yes. and you were an associate pastor. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've so. reached the first level of ordination in my church. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's hear about your first experience, of, or even when you just became aware of this. This guy named this guy Barack named Obama. Barack yeah. Obama. Yeah. Um, well, it was actually a, a fascinating time. I, um, I was wrapping up grad school and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I was both very interested in my, my faith and my religious journey and, and serving in, in that manner and also in... Um, public policy, and I um, was trying to figure out a way to combine the two. I was doing a, um, a, f- a fellowship in, in D.C. on Capitol Hill, and um, I struggling with where I was going to go in, in life, and um, I was at a restaurant, and I looked up at the television, it was the Democratic National Convention, and there was this skinny guy with an odd name, and um, I'd never heard of him before, and he was talking, and it was a compelling story, a compelling background, and then he was hitting all the policy issues that I really cared about. And then he started talking about the awesome God that we serve in the blue states. And I'm yeah, like, who is this guy? We worship an awesome God in the <laughs> exactly. blue states. Right. Um, and so, you know, long story short, short I um, grew to learn more about him, read his book, and um, and sort of beat down the door to his uh, his Senate office. You really you know, did beat down the I door, did didn't beat you? Down the what door. did you do? You first got a rejection letter. Well, I, I, I tried to join up with the campaign, and at that time they had many, many volunteers, more than they could handle. And um, when, when he was elected, I um, drove down from New Jersey a grand total of three times to Washington, leaving my resume there, and eventually... When he was elected they, to the Senate. Yeah, right. and eventually got a, got a call back, so... Okay. And it's been a great experience ever since. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is Speaking of Faith from American Public Media, today in a public conversation with Joshua Dubois, head of the new Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships in the Obama White House. Did you work with, uh, with Barack Obama, with Senator Obama, on the call to renewal speech that he gave in 2006? Definitely. Um, I, he was actually the only Democratic senator with a point person for faith-based public policy, and that was... Um, my role at the time there, right. and that was a, a wonderful moment and a wonderful speech that he gave. Yeah, you know, yeah, and again, I think that I think this speech—it's um, well known in some circles, but in not some in religious yeah. circles, but not in others. I think it's really a watershed speech. I, I, I do kind of suspect that it will be discovered. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit from sure. this. Um, he said in 2006, 
if we truly hope to speak to people where they're at, to communicate our hopes and values in a way that's relevant to their own, then as progressives, we cannot abandon the field of religious discourse. Because when we ignore the debate about what it means to be a good Christian or Muslim or Jew, when we discuss religion only in the negative sense of where or how it should not be practiced, rather than in the positive sense of what it tells us about our obligations to each other, others will fill the vacuum, those with the most insular voices of faith or those who cynically use religion to justify partisan ends. I mean, that's taking his statement that really did electrify people at the convention, Mm -hmm. we we worship an awesome God in the blue states, to another level and pointing to a new direction for talking about faith and working with faith in the progressive movement and the Democratic Party. And it's it's all about conversation. It's all about, you know, breaking down the walls of them versus us and, and, and realizing that, you know, across these different religious lines, you know, we can find points of commonality. We can still bring our own individual beliefs to the table and we can be clear in those, but um, at the same time, we, c- we can still find things that we can agree with. Did you realize, and did he realize, did the other people around you realize that you really were charting a new course, and was that intentional? You know, I don't think his purpose was ever to really chart a new course. It was just to sort of be true to who he was, a committed Christian, but who understood the, the pluralism in our society and the fact that, you know, Democrats have to do a better job of engaging Americans on not just public policy, but on their values. So I think it was more about, you know, what, what he knew to be true than, um, than any desire to sort of shift the, uh, the broader conversation in the party. But um, we're, we're glad that that appears to have happened as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you became the director of religious affairs, religious outreach. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the exact title yeah. was for the presidential campaign. Yeah. And you had a staff of six and lots, hundreds of volunteers, I think, who mm-hmm. you were helping oversee. Um, what was what your, does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> what do well, we do? And what, what was your message? What was your charge? And what obstacles did you encounter? You know, it was a fascinating time, and, I, and it was really a monumental learning experience for me. Um, our, our message was that um, undergirding, underlying the, the policies that, that we all care about and that we talk about as a party and as a country are, are values, and, that, and many of these values are shared, and we wanted to know what values folks were bringing to the table all across the country, and then we wanted to express um, then Senator Obama's values and, and find points of commonality, points that, you know, quite frankly may um, uh, uh, prompt people to vote for him, to support him. Um, and so we did these conversations, these community faith forums all across the country where we would invite um, individuals into a room uh, across religious lines. They were fascinating um, arrays and tapestries of, of folks who attended these things. We had um, some in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire that were you know, largely secular humanists, but some evangelicals and a few mainline Protestants. Obviously in South Carolina, the mix was a little different. Um, and then um, and, you know, we did them in Iowa and other states as well. And we would come in and we would talk about, you know, what our common values are. What, um, and, and it was striking the difference between the religious debates that you see on television and mm-hmm. on cable news and the religious conversations that we had all across the country. You would think that we all couldn't stand each other if all you did was watch, um, you know, the right. news shows about religion. But when we, we were out... In the field, you know, everyone, whether you're an evangelical Protestant or a Hindu, you know, realized that we had a broken healthcare system, and that, and they knew people who were suffering as a result, and they, and they also tied that to their values, to their faith, and um, so those were the conversations we had. Yeah. What did you learn about um, religion and politics that you hadn't known before, and that surprised you sure. in that experience? Uh, it, you know, I, I think. That, that that notion of common ground, and I, I don't want to um, I don't I don't want to stay here, dwell here, but that, that it was it was the most striking thing because we we are all told that you know our differences are so broad and wide, and there's no bridge that can that can span them. Um, but you know I, I've been in Mon- little churches in Montana and in temples in New York and you know everywhere in between, and there's so many things that people actually agree on, and hmm. um, and so that was just startling. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, um, quite frankly, more pushback, more heat, and there was a tremendous amount of light instead. 
So, you know, I think, and even in these last years, using those two words in the same sentence, religion and politics, yeah. you, I mean, did you not, did you not, not supposed to talk about those things? No, well, I, you know, I say we talk about <laughs> sex and money, so we get, and politics, so we get to talk about religion yeah. too, but, um, <laughs> I, did you not, did you not, did you sometimes, um, get into a situation where people fell into the predictable positions and had to be nudged out? Every now and then, I think at the beginning of the conversation you did, because folks think that's where they're supposed to be, that you're, you're coming into battle. Um, but then when you start talking about the president and, and then Senator Obama and where he was, and I mean, we talked about we would pull out quotes from the call to renewal speech that you just right. um, highlighted. And, uh, and then we would talk about, you know, w- one thing that I think was really important, and this was, again, driven by, by the president, um, was instead of focusing on issues, we focused on stories. So it wasn't, you know, tell me what you think about healthcare policy or tell me what you think about war. It was, you know, who in your community or in your family do you know that's affected by, you know, a broken healthcare system? Or um, do you know anyone that, that is, you know, that's fighting in Iraq? Or, and, and, and what do you think about that? And how do your values relate to that? And so, you know, it's easy to disagree at the level of issues, but it's really hard to disagree with someone's story. Um, and so, once we moved there to that part of the conversation, we saw a lot of walls broken down. Hmm. And is it right that you were also a force in getting um, candidate Obama to go to the Saddleback Forum at Rick Warren's church? We certainly church? worked with him on, on that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that experience? I'll just I'll ask you. Um, I, I, I'll, you know, I'll show my hand a little bit, and then I sure. felt I, I, I watched it, and I felt that the cover, coverage was incomplete. In, in um, what way? Um, yeah, see, I'm supposed to be asking you the question. Well, um, <laughs> that's a very good tactic for a politician. <laughs> um, for example. Yes. Um, Three points, please. There, I'm sorry. There was there was the the soundbite on abortion okay. was. When Rick Warren asked him, um, was something like, "Does a fetus have human rights?" and um, and Obama said, "That's when he said um, that answering that question is above my pay grade." And that's the sound that everyone heard. Um, in fact, he gave a very nuanced answer about abortion, which, in some ways, he expanded on mm. in this recent speech at Notre Dame. And I felt that you know that wasn't really covered. Yeah. And so um, when people declared it a loss for Obama, I just felt, I just wondered if the whole story was being told. And I wondered how, to, how you saw that. Well, you know, I, I thought then Senator Obama did a phenomenal job. And I, I was there with him at the time. And I, and I thought it was a really a nuanced conversation mm-hmm. about the role of faith in America. It, but in some ways that it wasn't meant to be soundbited, if that's a word. Um, and yeah. so it, I think the, um, and we obviously, we, you know, we live in a news cycle that demands winners and, and losers. Um, and, and so I, I don't think that conversation necessarily fit uh, those demands. But at the same time, I, I was, again, so proud of, of what um, he was able to convey about, you know, the role of religion in American public life. Even if maybe the message wasn't heard by people. Well, you know, I think in the end the message uh, was heard. And, and, you know, I think... Um, I, I, I think some of that nuance was, was picked up, even if it wasn't, uh, mm-hmm. if, even if that's not where the, the press dwelled. Joshua Dubois. I'm Krista Tippett in a live public conversation about the evolving direction of the Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships that Joshua Dubois is heading in the White House of Barack Obama. Are you involved, say, in helping him, for example, write the remarks he gave at Notre Dame or formulate those kinds of ideas on this issue of abortion? Sure. Well, you know, these, these key speeches are all the president's voice, yeah. and, uh, but I certainly work very closely with the team that works with him on that, mm-hmm. yeah. And that is one of the four issues, four kind of guiding issues, or um, there's a focus to, to, the, office, the, to yeah. the office. So, I mean, let's, you know, let's jump into that. Sure. Um, what does it mean that the issue of abortion reduction is is one of the four guiding areas of your sure. your office? Well, I um, I think that it means well, one that we, we we talk about it in terms of four pillars. Um, 
reducing unintended pregnancies and teenage pregnancies, supporting maternal and child health, uh, reducing the need for abortion, and strengthening adoption. So just to be clear, there are four things we're looking at here, and we're one partner um, with the White House Council on Women and Girls, who is um, working very closely um, with us in this effort. And And it's just a simple idea that the president has that, you know, yes, this is a very contentious issue, and there are clear perspectives on both sides. And this table is not meant to resolve those issues. Folks are going to continue to fight those battles, and hopefully we can do it in a way that respects differences of opinion, where we can disagree without necessarily being disagreeable. But there are some points of common ground, of common purpose. We can all agree that um, that you know, pregnant women should be supported, that adoption and foster care should be strengthened, that we should have fewer um, teenage pregnancies. And, and so we are reaching out to both um, pro-life Americans, pro-choice Americans, faith groups, women groups, women's groups, and everyone in between to, to figure out where those policy areas are in the middle, um, while respecting the fact that you know, folks aren't, aren't going to check their deeply held beliefs at the door in order to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the conversation itself, at least right now, is as important as the policy areas. Well, they're both important. You know, we're not talking just for the sake of, of, of talking. And, and no, I think but talking the, for the sake of moving of forward moving forward. It, and it, it, you're right. It, it's critically important. You know, again, it's just the, the magic of sitting down with someone across a table when, um, when the press and the broader uh, political world tells you that, you know, you, you have nothing in common. And then you sit down and you figure out that, well, hey, actually, I, I do have a few things in common with them. Um, this person from another party or from another perspective. Mm-hmm. Let's just, um, I'm just going to give a little bit of history and correct me or fill this in if sure. you want, just for people who are listening, um, and, and I'm no expert on this, but, um, you know, in, in across American history, the Supreme Court has always allowed some aid to flow to religious entities. For example, the Great Society relied very heavily on the work of black churches, so mm-hmm. even in recent memory. Um, but for a long time, distinguish between degrees of sectarianism. And so there would be less uh, of a flow to, to organizations that were, what did they call, pervasively sectarian. Um, then in the late 80s and mid-90s, this concept of charitable choice was coined. And that was partly about um, allowing religious groups to compete for welfare reform funding on more of a level playing field. Um, now, obviously, this came to a different stage in the administration of George W. Bush. Um, he signed an executive order creating a, the White House Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never passed as legislation. It was very controversial from the very beginning. Uh, the first director, John DiULio, quit within a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became politicized, and there was much less energy around it in the second term. Um, so I mean that's a nutshell history without so even why are going we doing into. This? So yeah, so so I mean you I wondered sure. and I wondered I, when Barack Obama first started talking about yeah. this during the campaign why? Well, here's the reason and and then I'll talk a little bit about the office as mm-hmm. well if that's okay. Um you know, the president believes that we've got some real challenges as a nation and across the globe. We've got too many kids who aren't getting the education they need. We have too many folks that are suffering with diseases and aren't getting the healthcare they need. Folks that are suffering with poverty and hunger and and he understands that if we're going to address these things, then we can't do it in Washington alone, and that we've got to connect with community-based organizations, faith-based groups, all hands on deck. Not a, it's not a concept of some groups doing things better than, than, than others, but, you know, it, but it's, it's about creating partnerships to serve um, people in need. This is something that he's believed for a long time. You know, everyone knows he was a community organizer coming out of college, but he was working with faith groups. With, right, he with, was right at the beginning. With faith-based he? organizations. Uh-huh. Um, but we're doing things a little differently, and I think that's important. Um, sort of three areas of difference, if okay. I may. Yeah, tell me also why the name changed. What's, what is signified sure. by the part, neighborhood it, partnerships? Decentralized. Um, the fact that in addition to faith-based groups, we're also working with secular neighborhood organizations, uh, nonprofits that are serving mm-hmm. their communities, the Boys and Girls Club, others. Um, so kind of three ways that, that we're changing course a bit. As you mentioned, the previous faith-based initiative was largely focused on leveling the playing field. Right making sure that faith-based groups had access. And even removing obstacles. Removing obstacles, making sure they had access to the federal government, access to federal funds and resources. And uh, you talk to the president about this, and you know, it's important for groups to not be discriminated against, but in addition to have a level playing, having a level playing field, you also have to 
do something on the playing field and, and have some very specific goals that you're hoping to achieve through your partnerships with, with faith-based groups. So we're shifting our mission, not just to level the playing field for leveling's sake, but, but to focus on some specific goals. And we, we have four goals, integrating community-based organizations in the economic recovery, um, supporting responsible fatherhood and healthy families, something that's really close to the president's heart. Uh, reducing unintended pregnancies and supporting maternal and child health and reducing the need for abortion and then interreligious dialogue and cooperation using both the bully pulpit of the presidency and various levers of the federal government to bring people from different religious backgrounds together. So the big picture is that the first way we're different is that we have a set of goals. Here here's the ways that we're going to measure ourselves, not just based on groups that are receiving money from the federal government, right. but but how well you're, we're achieving these four four specific purposes. Um, Second way we're different is a renewed focus on outreach to a range of different communities. We really want to throw the doors of the White House open to um, to folks from different religious and non-religious backgrounds, um, and and allow folks to understand that you know that this is not an office just for one particular community. We also have a new advisory council that's wonderfully diverse, a rich tapestry of individuals. Does the advisory council also have uh, non-religious? It certainly does. Uh, um, big Brothers, Big Sisters, and Seedco and other organizations that are secular are represented there as well. Mm-hmm. And then the third way that we're different is we really want to strengthen the legal and constitutional footing of this office. Um, the president strongly believes that the federal government can come into responsible partnership with faith-based groups and with community-based groups, but uh, that responsible partnership is key, that you know, he's also a constitutional scholar. He believes in the Establishment Clause and that organizations should not use federal funds for sectarian purposes and that they shouldn't proselytize using federal dollars. So we are working agency by agency to really strengthen that legal footing. So, I mean, would you say that, that Barack Obama um, might have thought that the idea of the faith-based office, even when George W. Bush established it, was, was a good idea, was yeah. the right direction, but he wanted to do it differently? I think that's fair to say, yeah. We not only streamed live video of my conversation with Joshua Dubois, we also captured this live event in HD. At speakingoffaith.org, you can download this produced video and an MP3 of our unedited 90-minute conversation for free. While there, you can also listen again to this program, as well as my past interviews with people who've been selected by President Obama for the National Council that is advising Joshua Dubois on the direction of his work. They include Jim Wallace, a progressive social activist and author, Ibu Patel, founder of the Interfaith Youth Corps, and Bishop Vashti McKenzie of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Download all these conversations on our website and through our podcast and email newsletter at speakingoffaith.org. a short break, we'll explore some of the ins and outs and the constitutional challenges for the Obama administration's approach to religious organizations. Also, Joshua Dubois describes how local innovators can get involved with his office. I'm Krista Tippett. Stay with us. Speaking of Faith comes to you from American Public Media. Speaking of Faith is supported by the Fetzer Institute as part of its campaign for love and forgiveness. Online at loveandforgive.org. Welcome back to Speaking of Faith, public radio's conversation about religion, meaning, ethics, and ideas. I'm Krista Tippett. Today, Obama's faith-based office, meeting Joshua Dubois. We're gaining a sense of the background and vision of the 26-year-old trusted associate of the president who is heading the new White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. This office will build on the existing structure of the Bush administration's outreach to faith-based organizations. But in my live public conversation with Joshua Dubois on May 20th, he also spoke about new directions in structure, mission, and diversity. 
His role, he says, is to be a voice for nonprofits generally within the Domestic Policy Council of the White House and across federal agencies. When Barack Obama announced his Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships in February, he also outlined areas of special concern that will guide its work and how it measures success. They include economic recovery and poverty reduction, abortion reduction, responsible fatherhood, and global interfaith dialogue. So let me just ask you, I mean, I think even this term, faith-based, mm. during the Bush years itself became politicized. And so I want to ask you, I mean, when I, when I use that term, when you, when you use that term, faith-based, what comes to mind? Organizations that are um, rooted in a particular value system, a particular religious value system, yeah. And what are they doing? Um, well, you know, I, I think it, it depends to, you know, on... The they're doing many, many things. Um, I, I think... If they are coming into a formal partnership with the federal government, um, meaning a financial partnership, um, then they must be doing something that's secular in, in, in nature. But they're faith-based groups whose only purpose is to serve the spiritual and religious needs of, of you know, the, the population in their membership. So uh-huh. they're doing a range of things. This, um, this notion of strengthening the legal and constitutional footing yeah. of faith-based organizations, that's, uh, that's tricky, right? I mean, you... Well, it's tricky in some ways, and in some ways it's straightforward. You know, things like encouraging groups to form 501c3s, which really makes a lot of this make a lot more sense. And, and I think we can do a lot to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And we're working with partners in various agencies um, even now to, to improve that process. Um, so th- there are some simple things that we can do, and it really starts... From the perspective of, one, it's important, and we're going to lead with it. We're going to talk about it. Whenever we talk about federal grants and resources, we're, we're, we are also going to talk about the limits of, of that funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, that you know, the vast majority of organizations want, that want to stay within the lines. They just need to know what the lines are, and we have to make it a priority to communicate that. And I don't think that was necessarily done as there, there is this real hot button, button issue of, of hiring, mm-hmm. and there are surveys that show that two-thirds to three-quarters of, Amer- of the American public, with majorities in both parties, don't support government partnering with faith-based groups if those groups um, are allowed to hire and pay with public money only people in their own mm-hmm. tradition. Um, and I know that you know this is a very sensitive issue for people on both sides of the spectrum, and it's the first thing that that comes up, uh, I mean, when, when Barack Obama gave that original speech during mm-hmm. the campaign, it's the first fight that already starts to take place. So, I mean, talk about that. Are you in the middle of that? Well, you know, I, what we're doing is uh, the president has created a, a new process by which we're going to be able to explore these issues on a case-by-case basis, any mm-hmm. difficult legal issue, including the issue of co-religionist hiring. And how is that a change from the Bush administration policy? Well, it formally written into the executive order creating my office, it, it's mandated that when any um, challenging legal issue arises, I have to work with the White House counsel and with the attorney general um, to explore that issue fully and then bring a recommendation back to the president. So it in- increases the priority and profile of, of that um, sort of exploratory process. There were groups on, on both sides. There were um, progressive organizations that wanted a more sweeping change and conservative organizations that um, were worried about this new mechanism. But the president strongly believes that on this or any difficult legal issue that this office will face, that we need to fully understand both the legal terrain, the policy environment, and then and make informed decisions. So that's, uh, that's a process that he's created. Have you considered any of those cases yet? Or not, not yet. This no. is all just... It's all very new. Very we're still new, isn't it? getting our email addresses and so forth. So, yeah. yeah. Really? <laughs> well, I, I do have my email address, but we don't have stationery yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, the charge um, during the Bush administration, uh, one concern was that um, supporting faith-based initiatives uh, might become an excuse for, might, might become one way to justify cutting government funding, mm-hmm. for example, for anti-poverty programs. Um, I don't think people are making that charge in the Obama administration, although it's a very new administration, but you have this other problem of 
an economic crisis, yeah. and state and, and local funding is already uh, being cut as we speak. And mm. I just wonder, are, are these groups turning to you, and can you respond, or is this part of your well, charge? Well, one interesting thing is, and this was not, it was the case in the previous administration, but it maybe wasn't made clear that, you know, the faith-based office actually does not do grant funding. They don't do any direct mm -hmm. grant funding, either the White House office or the faith-based centers that are within um, several agencies. Instead, we are we, we tell organizations where the grants are and, and let them know what they need to do to apply for them. So um, we I think we are hearing from more groups, both secular and religious organizations, that that, that um, are experiencing tough financial times, but um, we're just sort of pointing them in the, in the right direction. Joshua Dubois. Krista Tippett, and this is Speaking of Faith from American Public Media, today in a public conversation with Joshua Dubois, who's directing the Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships in the Obama White House. As he and I spoke on the stage at the Fitzgerald Theater, audience members and online viewers submitted questions. I was joined in moderating those questions by Larry Jacobs of the University of Minnesota's Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs. Here's a question from the audience. How do you avoid partisanship in the use of funds through the faith-based office? It's, well, that's an, there's an easy answer to that. We don't touch the funds, which is um, really important. And, we, and we, we make that clear that, you know, in the competitive grants that are going out across the federal government, my office does not sort of move money one way or another. We'll, ha we'll make no attempt to, to intervene. And, and we'll make it 100% clear that politics... Um, have nothing to do with uh, with funding decisions. So yeah. the way I understand it, what you are doing is helping, say, uh, religious organizations, community organizations, um, know how to how to get into the system. That's right. right? How to write effective grants. And also, we are focusing on non-financial partnerships, what we call civic partnerships. How can we communicate? important information to a faith-based group, whether, you know, we just did a big conference call on pandemic flu preparedness and, or, or on disaster preparedness more broadly or, you know, obesity or whatever. How can we extend um, information or resources or technical assistance in a way that um, is, is not just about grant funding? And also, how can we um, connect groups with other resources, whether it's state and local faith-based offices or um, with uh, you know, with one another, so that they can share best practices. There are many things that we can do that aren't related to federal grant programs. And state faith-based offices are a key part of it. I, I say that I see your Minnesota faith-based office head, Lee Buckley, here, and, and she does a wonderful job here in, in Minnesota. You know, you said something interesting to me while the music was going on. That yeah. um, that a story that's not often told is that there were some great people working in the faith-based right. office in the Bush administration, mm -hmm. and that a lot of those people have come. Are, are some still of them, there yeah. and are uh, part of your... You know, there are some wonderful folks. Um, you'll probably kill me. Ben O'Dell from the HHS Faith-Based Center, mm -hmm. Health and Human Services Faith-Based Center, and uh, so many civil servants who um, who really believe in responsible partnership between um, the federal government and faith-based groups and have really given their... And, and even including previous leadership of the office, you know, I think that, again, you know, the, the media tends to focus on some of the challenges as opposed to some of the great work that was done. Hmm. So, I mean, I'm curious, and maybe some of them would know this, and maybe you all haven't been working together long enough to have had this conversation, <laughs> but um, I wonder if uh, the office is now being approached by a whole different group of faith-based organizations than the well, ones who may have been best known uh, in the last eight years. We are certainly casting a wide net, um, you know, in addition to our wonderful conversations with the evangelical community, with the African-American Protestant community that are very full and robust. We are also meeting with, you know, many in the Jewish community, the Sikhs, Muslims, Hindus, um, a range of, I don't want to start naming and then I, and I will have left someone off, um, but uh, a, a range of groups that weren't necessarily engaged um, uh, in a, in a real full way before we're, we're trying to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've got a, a couple questions uh, from uh, folks in the audience here um, about how they get involved and contribute to what mm -hmm. you're doing. What kind of opportunities are being created for citizens to get involved in faith-based initiatives in the White House office? 
Sure. Well, one of the most important things that, that we can do is share models about what works in communities across the country. If you have a great program that's providing job training services or um, housing services, whatever the case may be, um, you know, we, we want to know about it. There will soon be a new website for the faith-based office where you can submit that and we can, that we can share that across, um, across the country. One of the things that we want to be very intentional about, though, is that not every organization will receive a, a federal grant. So that's, you know, I, I, would love to, you know, I, in, in, you know, I would love to be able to say that one of the things you can do is, you know, is come and apply for, for grant funding, but there are far many more organizations that are out there than uh, than grants available, but one thing, but, but we can share information. And so having models of, of what works, I think, is going to be really important. The other thing is, you know, simply serving in communities. The president um, is, is a huge supporter of national service along with the first lady. Um, and, it, and what individuals are doing in their own communities, I, I think, is helping to move this agenda forward. So in other words, you wouldn't want people to kind of, uh, kind of shift their focus to Washington, rather you're saying the focus ought to remain in the communities think and so. think of this as a facilitating uh, mechanism for that. I, do you, you, you want right to know, I mean, do you want people to just to let the, your office know of what they're doing? If there's something innovative, if there's something new and unique and that, um, that, they, that individuals or groups think that um, other organizations can learn from, I was... Um, talking with someone from an organization called Interfaith Furnishings in New Jersey. And they, um, they, they collect from different religious organizations and members from different um, houses of worship, use furniture, and then redistribute in a, in a sort of a unique way. Right. Um, it's a small example, but, you know, I'm, I want to highlight that. And so that if other houses of worship want to replicate that, then now they know how to do it. So, um, so yeah, we, we do want to know. So they write you an email? Or? They send me an email, mm-hmm. um, or they will go to a new website, which um, well, should be about two weeks away. Again, it's all very new. I don't have the stationery yet, so. Okay. <laughs> I'm Krista Tippett. My guest in this live public conversation is Joshua Dubois, the 26-year-old political strategist and Pentecostal minister who is leading the newly configured White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. Here's the, the last question. Um, what would be the one or two influences that have shaped you and prepared you for this position and this unique time in history? It's a good question. You know, I, um, I think my, my uh, upbringing and, uh, you know, my mom was a single parent for a while and we really struggled with, um, without too many resources, in fact, some time without a, uh, a place to live. And, and I think that um, going through that, that struggle allowed me to have a perspective that it's never, it can always be worse. And, and so the, um, the, the terrain of politics and, um, and now in this, the administration, we, we can handle some ups and, I can handle ups and downs because, you know, that we can always, you can always experience something worse. Um, so that's one thing. And then I, this, the amazing experience of the campaign, um, of folks who saw then Senator Obama and 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 really got a sense that there was something more that that their country could do together when they broke down the old barriers and looked across the table at someone who maybe from a different racial background or religious background even a different political party but they could grab onto something in that person that was like them and we saw that in communities all across the country and and that was just a a life-changing experience. So those two things have really shaped me. You know, we've had a poster for this event, and um, it's a picture of you and Barack Obama, and you're standing over his shoulder yeah. and pointing at something. And just before we came in, you, I commented on how, how much you must love this photo, and you said you remember that day. Yeah. Tell me about that day. That was at the Compassion Forum in, um, in, uh, in Pennsylvania at Messiah College. And it was a wonderful forum put on by our great friends at Faith and Public Life and some other organizations as well. I believe Sojourners was active in that. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a conversation with the, with the candidates on faith and values. And, and Do you remember what you were We were pointing at someone we both knew. And then I think I said, um, Senator, look who's there. And then he pointed to and we're like, hey. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. That's, what it, that's what that was. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish it was more profound than that, but <laughs> we were pointing at the way forward in our country. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just ask you a couple more questions. And then sure. Thank you, Larry. Um, and this list flows out of that. And, and I don't even know how to quite put words around this. I mean, in his inaugural address, President Obama spoke, said, historically, I think, that we're not, this is a nation of Christians and Jews, yeah. Muslims and Hindus, or maybe he said Christians and Muslims, Jews and yeah. Hindus, and non-believers. Um, I think that, that that's, a re- that's really an, an important focal point mm. for you, is because in these last years, we haven't just had this, these culture wars between conservative religious people and progressive religious people. We've had a kind of a battle that took place a lot in publishing between uh, religious people and atheists, <laughs> right? And um, it's a challenge that, that is responsive to what's happening in our world and our culture to create a conversation across those uh, dividing lines yeah. as well. Well, you know, it, it is in some ways, you know, the president's a committed Christian, but he understands that we've got a wildly and wonderfully diverse country. Um, but it, it becomes less challenging when you focus on the issues. On the, right. Um, you know, when, when you're focusing on health care and on energy, you know, the um, uh, cancer certainly does not know any religion, you know, and and um, and, and neither does um, you know climate change. So, um, and, and and the effects of it. So, you know, I, I think when when you when you have that lens that we we've got some mutual challenges that we have to face across those lines, then it becomes easier to negotiate negotiate those differences. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm aware in my work, and I'm sure this must be also what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. You have you have. Um, social action and service projects where humanists are every bit as engaged mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and passionate yeah. about an issue like uh, the environment or poverty. Um, and so what you're saying is that you're connecting people across those lines of service. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it's hard to talk about. I mean, I think that's where some of this skepticism was coming in some of the early questions. Where's, yeah. Well, where, well, then where does faith go? And well, do you stop, do you stop uh, claiming your religious ground? Well, and again, you know, it's, again, we're not talking about relativism here. We're not talking about people having to check their beliefs at the door. Um, you know, I think that does great disrespect to both religious folks and those who don't adhere to a particular set of beliefs. But um, instead, just acknowledging that we are all different, that we all believe in some um, fundamental truth, and that may be different, um, but we can still have points of, of common purpose. Okay. Anything you want to say or talk about that we didn't touch on? I don't think so. This has been a wonderful conversation, and well, thank you for having me. Joshua Dubois is the executive director of the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. If you missed part of this program or would like to hear it again, our website offers a free MP3 for you to download. We also filmed my entire live public conversation with Joshua Dubois, including all his responses to questions submitted by live and online audiences. View that unedited conversation at speakingoffaith.org. And we hosted a Speaking of Faith salon the morning after this event, a conversation with 13 individuals spanning those divides of background and identity, religious and non-religious, that the new White House says it aspires to bring together. It was a lively and at times moving view, I felt, inside dynamics at the civic level in U.S. culture that are reshaping religion and the relationship between faith and public life. Here's a brief excerpt of it. One of the things that frustrates me as I look back at this sort of polarization idea, in my interpretation, when a number of Christian religious folk uh, like me uh, would walk out into the public arena and say, here's, here's what I believe, here's what I have, you need it, um, uh, but I don't need anything from you. It's been interesting as a second-generation Hindu-American to kind of see the emergence of a distinctly American Hinduism, Mm -hmm. taking the positives from American culture and incorporating it and making it part of a living tradition. In Hebrew, the word for prayer and work are the same, avodah. Mm -hmm. 
and it's not because prayer is so much work, at least that's what I'm told. Um, it's because putting your values into action is a form of prayer, of, of making tangible what, what you believe. I worry about how government and faith communities are going to be working together because I am not part of a faith community and don't see myself as part of a faith community. So it feels like, well, will I be the one who's now marginalized? I think the platform that America has created for all of us is that discussion can happen. If I may share a story uh, quickly. It's around uh, Prophet Abraham, peace be upon him. Uh, He used to bring someone to his uh, house for dinner. Uh, He didn't eat alone. So one night he brought another person, and he was starting, and he started in the name of God. And the person said, well, uh, I don't believe in God. And so so Prophet Abraham, peace upon him, said, well, then you don't have place on my table, so you can leave. And in the story, he said that at the same time, God addressed uh, Abraham, peace be upon him, and said, who do you think fed him for 40 years? And you couldn't stand him for one dinner. No matter what religions or no religions or whatever faith, uh, whatever we believe in, I think we have to work together to make our communities um, safe because that's where we want our next generation to flourish in. And I think that would be a very important, I mean, at least for me to take back um, from last night and from today. You can watch or listen to that entire conversation at speakingoffaith.org and share your thoughts. Senior producer of Speaking of Faith is Mitch Hanley, with producers Colleen Sheck, Shiraz Janjua, and Nancy Rosenbaum. Our technical director is John Scherf. Our online editor is Trent Gillis, with web producer Andrew Dayton. Special thanks for this program to Tony Boll, the staff of the Fitzgerald Theater, and musicians Robert Bell and David Stencil. Also, thanks to Johnny Vince Evans for our audio recording and to Ustream for hosting our live video stream. Kate Moose is the managing producer of Speaking of Faith, and I'm Krista Tippett. Speaking of Faith is supported by the Fetzer Institute as part of its campaign for love and forgiveness, online at loveandforgive.org. Additional support is provided by the Ford Foundation, a resource for innovative people and institutions worldwide, on the web at fordfound.org. The Luce Foundation's Henry R. Luce Initiative on Religion and International Affairs. And the George Family Foundation, funding innovative ideas in integrative medicine, education, and spirituality in everyday life. Speaking of Faith is extending its reach throughout America with support from Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private foundation. Next time, Brother Tai, a radio pilgrimage with Zen master and poet Thich Nhat Hanh. Please join us for the next Speaking of Faith. American Public Media.